0: Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Let's start in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 38 through 42. Everyone. Will spend eternity somewhere, and it has been placed upon us the responsibility to make the decisions here on Earth to set that trajectory. And this this uh, this story that we find in Luke chapter ten has really just been weighing on me recently, and so I just wanted to bring this forward. Bring it out. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38, says, Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village, he being Jesus. And a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you again one more time for bringing us together today. God, we thank you that we're able to come together and study your word openly. God, we thank you that we're we're able to come together publicly and and worship you, that we don't have to hide our faith. God, I ask that your word comes forth today. God, you know that I'm not worthy of of sharing your word. I mean, you, you know that I can't come up with your words on my own. And God, I'm asking that you would allow your word to go through me today, God, that I would share your message with these people, not my own opinions, Lord, but what you would have to say to each and every heart with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My title today is simply titled, One Job. You had one job. looking at a contrast between Mary and Martha. Martha is getting the work done. There's a lot of work to be done and Martha's running around keeping herself busy. She's getting it all done or trying to get it all done and she's running herself ragged with the responsibilities in life. Anybody ever feel like you're just running around working hard trying to get stuff done? You just can't get it all done. That's what Martha's doing. And she recognizes the authority that Jesus has. And he goes, Jesus, do you see that Mary's just sitting around while I'm running myself ragged, trying to, trying to serve you? And Jesus admonishes Martha. And, and, and basically says, what is all of the works worth if it does not bring you into relationship with me? What's it matter that you do all of this work? When it's all about spending time with me. When it's all about being in relationship with Jesus. There's a time to work and there's a time to commune. And Jesus was challenging Martha's thinking and saying, what does all of these works work when you're not even spending time with me? My title, as I mentioned, is One Job. And I've got some graphics here that I want to go through of different people that had one job. So one here is the you can see this, you can see the sea on the wall right there. This knowledge of architecture and planning. I think there's maybe some gap in their planning. somebody been mowing the lawn for a month and never moved the cone. they had one job. They put they put the the wine on the water shelf. Long yellow things. You look at this stuff. You go. You have one job. You have one job. <laughs> Do not stag. You need to put this bench right among, right under the water drain. <laughs> this this store is open nine days a week. It's, it's this is the delivery instructions. It's a surprise party for my mother. We live together, so please, can the box not look obvious? Cause it's party supplies they wanted the box to look non nondescript so mom doesn't find out what's in there. <laughs> Somebody put the shirt on the mannequin. <laughs> the cell phone here, they're advertising that it floats. You see it here in the bottom of the aquarium. Phone had one job. This is the last one I have. It's a boy! Prince's colors, pink. <laughs> one job. You had one job. So these are examples of people at had one job and they messed it up. You can mess things up even when you only have one job. But we have one job. And that is to worship God. Our one job is to get ourselves to heaven. Our one job is to maintain that relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I've done the study a couple times on what heaven's going to be like. And so I'm just going to hit the highlights. We're going to have white robes. Clean, immaculate. I like the color white. We'll never be hungry in heaven. No more hunger. No more hunger pains. No more ever being thirsty. The sun's not going to beat its heat down on us. There's going to be no tears in heaven. And we will eternally be in God's presence. There's no death in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's many mansions, but it's never night. I want to spend eternity in heaven. I want to spend eternity with my Creator. I want to flip to John chapter 3. There's a lot packed into this chapter, and we're just going to kind of go through it and and break some of it out. In John chapter 3, there was a man by the name of Nicodemus that comes to Jesus because he's got questions. He's recognized the authority that Jesus has. He's recognized the of in the way that Jesus handles situations. So in John 3.1, so there's a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou do except God be with him. So Nicodemus is, is recognizing that Jesus possesses the authority of God. And, and Jesus almost just sideswipes the entire conversation and skips ahead a few pages and says Jesus answers some to him verily verily I say unto thee except a man be born again he cannot see the kingdom of heaven Nicodemus is coming to Jesus and he's and he's, he's acknowledging his authority and Jesus just cuts right to the point and says unless you become born again you cannot see the kingdom of of heaven. And Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you have to have a fleshly birth and you have to have a spiritual rebirth in your life, if you want to go to heaven. Marvel not that I said unto you that ye must be born again, the wind bloweth where it listeth, thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it comes and whither it goes. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered and said, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily I say unto thee. We speak that which we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witnesses. So, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that, that we've got people that have seen things and they're testifying about it, and yet people aren't even listening to them. If I have told you of earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So, Nicodemus is asking Jesus about these things, and Jesus is challenging Nicodemus' thinking a little bit. And he's challenging Nicodemus and saying, When people are coming to you and telling you that we've seen physical miracles happening on earth and you don't believe them, why would you believe me when I start telling you about spiritual things that don't have any physical application that you can't understand? And no man hath ascended up to heaven that he may come down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so much the Son of Man be lifted up. That... (coughs) that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but shall have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus challenged a lot of people in the Bible. Jesus questioned a lot of people and their actions in the Bible. Jesus told people in the Bible to live life a different way. But what Jesus is clarifying to Nicodemus is I'm not here to condemn people. I'm not here to beat people down. But out of my love for the world, I'm trying to show you the better way to live. I'm trying to show you how to bring your life into communion with God. For uh, uh, Verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, that men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds be made, made manifest, that they are wrought In God. When people are doing evil, they like to hide in the dark. But truth and things of God are not afraid of being brought to light. If it's something that you want to keep secret, if you've got things in your life that you're like, yeah, I don't want people to know about this, it's probably not glorifying to God. That's a good indication that something does not glorify God when you have a when you have secrets buried down in your life. But we have one job, church. We have one job, and that is to bring ourselves into communion, into relationship with God. He's coming back for a church that is looking for Him. He's not coming back for a church that says, "Okay, these are all the rules. I got to make sure I dot all my eyes and 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 and, and the, or, yeah, dot all my eyes and cross all my Ts. And make sure I'm doing everything right." What He's looking for is people that love him enough to seek out and align their lives with his perfect plan. When you think about the new birth experience, a new birth is a new start. It's a fresh start. You go through the new birth process through water baptism then filling the Holy Ghost as you do that study you recognize that is what it's referring to. But when you come out of that new birth experience it is placed upon you a responsibility to start fresh to do things differently to live a different life. And when you look in the Old Testament you look at the Old Testament law there's the Ten Commandments but in the New Testament the Pharisees challenged Jesus in Matthew twenty two, thirty-six through forty. And the Pharisees just, just trying to trying to find fault in Jesus. But they asked him, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said unto him, Shalt thou love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments doth hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that God has placed upon us, every responsibility, every rule, rule that you find in the Bible, can be boiled down to loving God and loving people. God is love. And so when we have that love, we're reflecting God. But, but when you're thinking about your behaviors in life or activities, you're trying to figure out, what's God really think of me doing this? Ask yourself that question. Does, does this bring me closer to relationship with God or farther from my relationship with God? Does this bring me closer to my relationship with people or farther from my relationship with people? Things of God... Or God's plan is for us to love God and love people. Ephesians 5.27 says that he may present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that we should be holy and without blemish. The church that he's coming back for, that he's going to rapture out of this world, is a church that has chosen to be separate and to be holy. A church that that wants to live a separated life, a holy life. Holy means separated. This is my object lesson from a couple months ago when we are talking about separation. And I took some mulch and I put some Doritos in there. Who likes Doritos? I like Doritos. And I like mulch in my rock bed, but I don't like them mixed. I don't want Doritos in my rock beds or my my flower beds, and I don't want mulch on my dinner plate. We're called to be separate. We're called to be holy. We're not called to try to fit in. We're called, we're called to try to fit in with God's plan. We're not tried to, called to fit in with the world's plan. All right. We're called to live that separated life. But we're human. Humans make mistakes. God is coming back for a church without spot and wrinkle. as one that's holy, without blemish. That's what he's looking for. So we have to keep cleaning, out the, cleaning ourselves up. We've got to keep wiping those blemishes off. We've got to keep working those wrinkles out. We've got to keep washing the spots out of our life. And it's an ongoing process because as humans, we make mistakes. It's part of being human. Just because you make a mistake does not mean that you're irredeemable. It just means you need redeemed again and again and again. And we have to keep coming back. 2 Peter 1, 2 through 2-11. It's one of my favorite passages because it, it gets to the point of what is referred to as living a fall-proof life. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to be... To glory and virtue whereby are given us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and beside this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue to your virtue knowledge to knowledge temperance to temperance patience to patience godliness to godliness brotherly kindness to brotherly kindness charity for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Add to your faith virtue, virtue knowledge, knowledge temperance, temperance patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. Faith is the foundation of the relationship with God. You can't come to God unless you have faith. You have to have faith and understanding in the things you cannot see. You have to believe in things that that are not tangible. You have to have faith to come to God. You have to put your faith in God's word. You have to put your faith in God's plan. Virtue is what gives man his worth and efficiency. Virtue is integrity. Virtue is what we do when nobody's looking backing up a little bit we just talked about things that done in secret how do you conduct yourself when nobody's looking Do the things that you do in the privacy of your home things that you're comfortable doing in public or do you have secrets do you have secrets things you don't want to get out those are little things that you can identify and you may look at things and I've used this illustration before but I've scrolled through Facebook before and made sure I had my volume turned all the way down because I don't want people to think that this video that just starts playing with some crude language. I don't want people to think I listen to that. Well, I shouldn't be listening to it then. You know, you know, and and I somehow can justify different things in my mind, but the things that we do in private, or the TV shows that we maybe allow ourselves to turn on. Go well, you know, I'm strong. I can put up with this. There's a whole other thing when you start trying to when you start telling yourself, "Oh, I'm strong enough. I can handle this." You've already lost. You've already lost a battle. Knowledge. So you're building, you're building these different, these different pillars of your of your walk, which are become a protection for you. So you got faith, your unfailing faith in God, your integrity, knowledge is the continuing study of God's word. The more we study God's word, the more we understand about God's plan, the more we understand how all of the pieces fit together. A question I hear popular is especially today, is is the Bible talks about loving people, but then you judge people all over the world and you tell them that they're rotten, terrible sinners. Well, telling somebody they're rotten, terrible sinners is not loving. But as a church, we have to take a stand for God's Word. But when you start reading God's Word and you start understanding, there is a way to, with love, apply that to the way that we address conflict there's a way that to to address um to help guide people and encourage people and encourage not condemn but to encourage people to make different life choices that lead to a flourishing life that lead them closer to god so you got faith you got your virtue your integrity you got knowledge as you continue studying and you've got temperance. Temperance is simply self-control. It's self-discipline. It's living a life where you have your fleshly desires in subjection to your higher, higher will, to what you know needs to be done. There are many things in life we know we need to do or know we shouldn't be doing, and yet we give into it because it feels good, because we want to. And so the, the so this, this, this fourth, the for fifth one that we're talking about now is temperance is that self-control is being disciplined to restrain yourself, to restrain yourself from doing things that you would want to do and discipline yourself to do the things you don't want to do. Then it's patience, which is enduring through the storms, trials, when life gets turned topsy-turvy, godliness, living a wholly separated life. And the last two are brotherly kindness and charity. It's Being kind to your brothers and loving those. Charity is love that gives without a response. So brotherly kindness, so the last two out of all of those are both love. Brotherly kindness and charity, I would consider both of those love. Let's all stand. We have one job, church. We have one job. And it's easy for us to get wrapped up and tied up in trying to do all the things that we need to do. But what's really been on my heart recently is just getting back to the basics, getting back to that relationship with God, getting back to loving God. And so as we enter back into the time of worship, in the, in the, it's only 11.30. We're doing great on time. Just spend some time communing with God. If you want to read your Bible some, if you want to worship some and sing along to the worship songs, we're going to take some time this morning and just fellowship with God or commune with God and talk to God and allow him to speak to us through his word. Jesus, hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for that.